Um, Robin did a great job of, um, of setting us up here for this talk on scorning the shame. Uh, Mark said you're in a series right now on uh, special moments or favorite moments or moments in the life of Christ's ministry. Is that, I think is that right? Something like that? Something like that. And so we talked about that. Uh, I had another sermon in mind for today, but when he talked about that, man, before we got the conversation on the phone, I was like, instantly, I know what I need to talk about today. I want to talk about a moment in Christ's ministry that means a lot to me, and it actually is kind of the foundation of what Robin and I do. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. The topic today is Jesus scorning the shame. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance to race the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured his opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The book of Hebrews was written because there was a number of Jewish Christians who were considering leaving the Christian faith and returning to Judaism. They were losing heart. They were in danger of turning back, quitting. And so the book of Hebrews was written as an inspiration to say, don't quit. Do not quit. Persevere. Do not lose heart and quit. Now, quitting ne never usually happens just immediately, once in a while. Usually it happens progressively. There's a losing of heart, a losing of heart, a gradual, insidious losing of heart until finally it's just like, Oh, well, you know, I've already lost. I'm just, what's the point? What's the point? And so I really think that if we can understand how it is that Jesus was able to not lose heart, it'll help us. This was the Hebrew writers thinking this was the, one of the biggest things that was going to cause him to lose heart was going to be shame. It was going to be shame. I mean, you think about it. They took a vow. They, took a, they said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And now... They're thinking about going back. That would be a, a lot of shame there in their hearts. A lot of shame about their doubts. A lot of shame maybe even um, putting on by their families but because they had left their, their previous religion. Whatever the case, whatever was causing it, the writer here believed that shame was a major factor in them losing heart. Has anybody ever seen that in your life or people around you? You felt like that there was something so big they just couldn't deal with it. Something so embarrassing, something so just shameful that, you know, I just can't go back to church. I just can't go back to church. I can't be with those people because what if they knew? What if they knew what I had done? Maybe they do know, and it's like, I just can't face them. You ever heard anything like that before in your life? Whether it's church, even family sometimes. People will stop coming to family events because of shame. They're afraid that people are going to look down on them. People are going to think less of them. And so they say, you know what? I just, I can't deal with it. I'm not going to come. Shame has been a tool of Satan for a long time. But one of the things that Jesus did, one of the moments in his ministry, and there were many, where he scorned the shame. Of course, the one Robin talked about was the cross, was the greatest moment. But really, it was a, a ministry of scorning the shame. I mean, you think about choosing his apostles. Someone trying to start a movement to, to change the world. Someone... One of these Pharisees saying, uh, 
you don't have any scholars in your in your your, your, your entourage there. You got a, a couple fishermen. <laughs> you got you got a you got a, a zealot. You got a tax collector. <laughs> you got to be joking. Who are these clowns you've got following you? You're going to change the world with these guys? Forget about it. We're not worried about you. Unschooled, ordinary men. They were called in Acts. He chose people that came from backgrounds of shame. He ministered to people who were shamed by their society. Friend of sinners. Friend of, friend of prostitutes. Tax collectors. Sinners. He chose people who were shame-laden to be his followers and to spend time with. One of the greatest moments is ministry acts are in John 8. The adulterous woman, the way he dealt with her, the way he handled her shame. Amazing, amazing story. And so we've got to look today at this a little more closely and figure out what shame is, what it means to scorn the shame, and how we can indeed scorn the shame, lest we grow weary and lose heart. So shame, by definition, is a painful feeling of humiliation. A painful feeling of humiliation. It's like, ouch, that, oh, 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 that got me. That hurt. Uh, it could be a, even a distress caused by the conscience or, or by a foolish behavior. Um, has anybody ever felt shame? Can't remember your first moments of shame. Even as a child, things that just left a mark, shame. I remember when we were at a family event, and I was down. I don't know how old I was, but there was a sidewalk there, and I, it was all crumbling apart. So I thought, hey, it's crumbling apart. I'll just help it crumble a little bit more, and you know, maybe they'll replace it or something like that. I was, I was taking the pieces, the crumbling pieces, out of the sidewalk, and then all of a sudden, my dad looks down from the front porch where the, the family elders or the the men hanging out having their man talk were up there, and um, and he sees me down there disassembling the sidewalk and comes flying down off the, 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 the porch here at Grandma's house, grabs me, and just throws me in the back of our station wagon. Our station wagons are large cars. I mean, you guys don't know about those, but as a kid, <laughs> we had cars, and they had this little window in the back, and um, sometimes you put a big pillow back there, and you could sleep and ride. It was kind of a fun place. before You, had to, that, this is, you didn't have to wear seat belts back then, so it's nice. You could just <laughs> pop in the back of the station wagon and and sleep back there, but in this case, at least it was a soft landing into the big feather tick back there, but, but it was a moment where in front of all these family members, I was shamed, I was humiliated, and I didn't think I'd really done much wrong, but uh, it was embarrassing, I guess, to my dad that I was disassembling the sidewalk, and um, he decided to punish me right there in front of the family. Shameful moment, a painful feeling, and you know, there are whole years I remember like very little of my life. I don't probably remember much else happened that whole year, but you know, I remember that. Shame has that kind of power. It leaves a mark. It's a painful, painful humiliation that causes a mark. There's some psychologists, uh, Marte Oten and Kai jo Jonas, Jonas from the University of Amsterdam, actually did a, a study where they, um, they wanted to test the impact of shame on the brain. There just hadn't been a lot of studies out there, so they actually put together a, a scenario um, where, and I don't know if they did it, I guess they did it live somehow, where a person was supposed to meet up with a person they met on the internet, like an internet date. They're going to meet for the first time, and so they, they wired their brain, somehow they put wires on them to judge their brain activity, and what would happen is, 
when they would show up for their date, their date would show up to meet them that they were so excited about, the date would walk in, take one look at them and go, oh, no, and just walk right out. You know, that, that, that would leave a mark, wouldn't it? You know, you're all excited, you're all dressed up, you got all prepped, you're all prettied up there. Your date walks in, takes one look at you and says, forget about it, I'm gone. And they tested the brain activity of that, what happens in the brain during that kind of thing, kind of, that kind of shameful process. And they end up finding out that humiliation has more of a negative effect on the brain, even than anger, even more than happiness. It has a powerful, powerful impact on the brain. And so we can find from this pioneering study that the brain doesn't like being humiliated. Our brain does not like feeling shame. We do not like feeling that badly to, to the degree that shame can cause. So obviously, that's why we quit. It's uncomfortable. It does brain damage, so to speak. Powerful, powerful emotion. And of course, to scorn the shame basically means the word kato freneto in the, the Greek there comes down, kata means down, freneto kind of means like a, a casting down or throwing down. So what Jesus did was he basically just said, oh, never mind, just knocked it off his shoulder like, oh well, cast it down. Not much, you know, he just it repelled it. He repelled it, just said, nah, not going to let me, not going to get me down. But I wanted to go deeper into this topic, and this was kind of fun, what happened, is uh, I want to go deeper, and when you're going to go deeper, want to research something, what do you do? You Google it, right? <laughs> you Google it. So I Googled it, scorning the shame. I said, what is scorning the shame? Googled it. And I got some interesting things happened, but it was really kind of fun because there was uh, a couple commentaries, a couple uh, blogs, but the number five, Number five on the Google list of all the pages of things about it was an article written by Robin, my wife, in 2009. And it was, it was called Scorning the Shame, and it was called Scorning the Shame in Kiev. We had just come back from a, a trip of speaking in, in Ukraine, in Kiev, and Robin had written this article about Scorning the Shame. I'll read you the, uh, the intro of the article. It says, Father, certainly there are, this is a prayer she's praying. Father, certainly there are more days, there were days when I wondered if this day would ever come. I remember one morning when I was alone, weeping on a park bench, asking you when there would be relief, asking you when Dave would turn the corner in his addiction, yearning for just a drop of fresh hope, praying I could persevere. I left there that morning with a sense of peace, that you still, had a pain, you still had a plan for us. Hold on, you whispered to my heart, soon enough. Watching Dave teach a four-hour seminar for fledgling recovery ministry leaders yesterday was inspiring. It was good for me to sit back and trust. And each part seemed exactly where it was supposed to be. I've never been prouder of my husband. Isn't it amazing? You're researching on scoring the shame, and you're actually the poster boy for the number five, you're the number five of all, of all the theologians in the world, of all the Christian authors, of all the people who have written articles on Hebrews 12 in the world, you're the poster boy for number five. It's like, wow, that was like shocking and refreshing at the same time. It's like, how did that happen? Maybe God was at work in my heart when Mark mentioned this topic and it came so clear to my mind 
Maybe God was um, doing something here that I didn't understand was doing. So at that point, I just stole her article at that point and made my sermon. So, uh, <laughs> so now, you get, now you get Robin part two, okay? So um, uh, this is the service today. That's the way it is, you know? I tell people, she's the rock star, I'm the sideshow. That's just kind of my life. But that's okay. I'm scoring that shame. Okay. Um, <laughs> so... Um, here are some things that she drew uh, from the cross, from the account of the cross, how Jesus scorned the shame. Uh, here's some points, and we're going to move from pretty quickly here. But I thought they were a very, very good points. I, I couldn't really improve on them, so I thought we'll just preach them. Um, number one, Jesus scorned the shame through vulnerability. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, by saying in front of the whole world that he felt like God had forsaken him. Wow. That's vulnerable because that's what the very thing they were accusing, saying, you should come down for the cross. You're not real. You're a fake. You're a phony. So wouldn't that be the moment where you'd want to kind of kind of prove that you really are God's man and, and try, to, try to say, hey, no, I am close with God. Look at, look at all my miracles. Look at all these things I've done. I, I'm close to God. But instead of trying to fight for dignity and, and boast about his works before God, he actually says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, how gutsy is that? How gutsy, how vulnerable to talk about what was on his heart, really, to, 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 sh to shake off the shame and the temptation to be defensive and, and prideful and say, right now, I feel like God's forsaken me. He exposed his most primal wound on the cross, allowing himself to be hurt. That's what vulnerable means. It's from the, the Latin vulnus. It means injure or wound. So being vulnerable is being making yourself available to be wounded. You're like saying, just hit me. Just hit me. We used to have discipleship times like that. I don't know if we still, you guys still have them in Dallas or not, but back in the day, you know, we'd have discipleship times and the leader would just say, hey, give me your best shot. What do you got? You know, tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Just lay it out. Don't hold back. Just tell me exactly what you think I need to hear. Jesus made himself available for wounding. But he drained the pain. He, rather than, rather than holding it in, he let it out. He said it. He said, why have you forsaken me? He, he talked about it. Some of us need, just need to talk about some things. We need to talk about some things. It may, we may think it's, it may be a big thing maybe. We think it's something that's so embarrassing. But sometimes it's just the little things. Sometimes it's just the things, those little things that, you know, we've got probably a lot of people here. How many people here have been Christians 10 years or more in the audience today? Okay, a lot of y'all. So, so we, get, we fall under, the, on, under that shame category of I should be beyond this by now. I, I should know better than this. I should be doing better than this. And so if, if it happens that we miss a quiet time or maybe two or three or maybe a whole week. Ever been a whole week without opening your Bible? I'm not asking for hands here, but, um, uh, you know. And if you're a minister and you go a whole week without opening your Bible, now you're talking some, some, some escalated shame there. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. That's embarrassing. But what do you think we should do? Like talk about it. Talk about it. Because Satan takes, takes a foothold and starts condemning us and knocking down our confidence 
and also it might just help us to, to repent as well, you know. That those those gotta talk about it, gotta drain that pain. Ever catch yourself being deceitful and kind of fudging the truth a little bit? It's a lie. It's a lie. In case you forgot, those are lies, okay? Those are lies. And so we sometimes need to just say, hey, you know what? I, I lied to the cashier. I, I lied to the tax, whoever it was, and just admit and say, you know, even though you say we should be over that by now, we still do it sometimes. We need to talk about it. It can be like silly things like spending hours playing video games that you should have been doing something else. That can be like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't sinning. Well, maybe it wasn't, but maybe you could have got a lot of other stuff done that Satan uses that against you, and now you feel shame. And it's crept in and become a habit. It's become a, a, a stronghold. It's, it's eaten up hours and hours of your life, and the word is going untouched. Well, that's shameful sometimes. And we don't want to talk about it. It's embarrassing because we've been around for a while. We should know better. You know, that shame, Satan uses our, our, our endurance against us sometimes thinking we should be ahead of where we're at. Vulnerability. Part of draining the pain, part of overcoming the shame. Forgiving. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Shame opens doors for opportunities for forgiveness because sometimes people keep it on us. And it'd be easy to, to hold that, to, to be angry at them or to hold that back at them or, or be revengeful at them and say, well, I'll, I'll get you. You know, I'll find, I'll, I'll expose your faults too. Um, no, Jesus, Jesus, instead of doing that, he forgave them. He, he, he just said, no, never mind all those nasty things you're saying about me. I forgive you. Drain the pain. You know, hatred and anger does more damage to the object in which it is stored than to the object on which it is poured. You know, you're, you're hurting yourself more. <laughs> you're doing more damage to yourself than to anybody else you pour your anger on. Forgive. Forgive yourself as well. Forgive yourself. Talk about it, and then forgive yourself. Don't let that shame accumulate, cause you to grow weary and lose heart. Loving. Loving is a powerful way to scorn the shame. Dear woman, here's your son. To the other disciple, here's your mother. Caring for someone else somehow just is an antidote to shame because now you're focused on somebody else, not yourself. You got your mind off of the pain of the shame and you've acknowledged the pain of someone else around you and you've taken them into your heart to care for them and somehow that's a powerful force in overcoming your shame. Merciful. I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Showing mercy. And again, showing mercy to yourself as well. Powerful antidote to shame. Being real. I am thirsty, Jesus said. Just talk about your needs. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I'm frustrated. Got to talk about it. Got to be real. Don't pretend like you have to be the strong one all the time. Don't pretend like you have to be the spiritual one all the time. Just say it. Be real. Sometimes we think that's going to repel people. I mean, I, I remember the first time I was asked to speak on, on sexual sin at a conference in Chicago. At first... I was like fired up because I was out of the ministry at the time and I was like, well, wait a second, no. I was actually an intern at the time, never mind. I, was, I, but I, did, I wouldn't get to preach much, okay? I was, I was on the lower, lower echelon of, of, of uh, church leadership style, so I, I wasn't preaching much, okay? I was doing a lot of serving. That's just good. But, um, but the, um, I got a chance to preach. I was like, hey, 
awesome. I love to preach. And then it's like I realized, wow, if I'm going to preach on sexual sin, I need to probably confess my own sexual sin. Uh, and then I got a little less excited, like, hmm. Now I'm like, now I'm like a little fearful. I was like, are they going to record this? Is this going to be taped? Is this going to be uh, uh, it's going to be put in the on the on the website? Are they going to make? Well, back then they made little those little square things called cassettes. They were make you know they were put on cassettes back then. It's like and so um, you know you start thinking about that. That, that that could that could be circulated for a long time. That could lay around and and you know I didn't know cassettes were going to go extinct, but that's you know at the time I thought it was on a permanent record and I uh, my sins would be confessed forevermore. Okay. And so um, I had to really wrestle with that and decide. And I talked to Robin, and we decided, you know, yeah, you need to get real. You need to tell it like it is and be bold about your legacy of sin. And I feared, man, I feared after that lesson people would just run for the exits, like, you know, not even want to talk to me. Um, but funny thing happened. People came up and started confessing their sins to me. And they started sharing how much it meant to them. And they started doing the exact opposite of what I thought would happen. And that's the paradox. That's the paradox of vulnerability and being real is that people who are real are more attractive than those who have it together. Because we're not so comforted by people who have it together because inside, most of us know, we don't have it together. And so we're more drawn to people like ourselves. So being vulnerable and open, being real, does more to draw people to you than having it together does. And ultimately, being surrendered. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus ultimately surrendered his pain to God. And that's ultimately what we have to do with our shame. God, this is the way I feel. This is what I'm going through. This is what's in my mind. And the cool thing is it's all part of God's big plan. It's all the paradox of our God that I love God so much for. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I think of... Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one would boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you have weakness, if you have things about your life that could be despised, things that make you feel lowly, you're in the right place. That's God's kingdom. You're in the perfect place because God has chosen those of us who are lowly, those who us who are weak, those of us who have been sinful, those of us who have been addicted, those of us who have done shameful things to be the poster children for his love, for his patience, for his glory. He loves taking people like you and me and using us to shame the wisdom of the world. He, uses, he loves to turn Satan's plan back against him by teaching us and let the shame of our shame drive us to the cross, like Robin talked about. If our shamefulness drives us to the cross, then we go away. It says here, righteous, holy, redeemed. That's what happens when our shame takes us to the cross. But we take it inside and we carry it around and we don't surrender it. 
We walk around with it and we keep secrets for years and years and years. And it takes us to weariness of heart. It takes us to quitting. There are people here today that need to surrender some things that you're carrying around. And you've been carrying around for a long, long time. Things you're embarrassed about. Things that your mind would say, if they knew this about me, I might just be taken off the list. I might be taken off the roll. I might be, you know, excommunicated. I don't, we, I don't know if we're excommunicating. That's, that's another religion. Okay, does it? You know, I, I might be disfellowship. Whatever. You might be, I mean, you're something that big. But you're, you're, you're really, it's, it's eating at you. It's time to talk about it. It will wear you down. And you will give up. And that's not God's will. That you give up. And it may be a small thing, that, that just a little thing that you just, eh, I shouldn't, eh, that's, that's not it. Yeah, nah, nah. No. No, you talk about that too. Those little things start developing into to, to habits and, and a, a lifestyle of, of, of hiding, a lifestyle of secrecy. And over time, Satan's patient. He's got lots of time to wear us down. Talking about those small things as well. Being like Jesus, vulnerable, real, surrendered. And so that's our call today. I want to read a little bit more. This is a response. It's written by John Piper. But this is how Jesus, a conversation Jesus may have had at that moment when they were shaming him. I mean, mocking him. I mean, that mocking. That hurts. And I remember just even in, we're living in Berwyn, Illinois, and, and I, I went out and was shoveling the snow behind our garage, and some guy didn't think I was shoveling it the right way, or I, he thought I was shoveling too close to his, or just something silly like that. The guy just starts cursing me, and I'm like, you know, it just hurt to be cursed. It's like, man, I don't get cursed a lot, you know. Thankfully, you know, we may get rebuked once in a while when you're on staff, but you don't get cursed a lot. Okay, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. There's not a, lot of, not a lot of cursing goes on at staff meetings, but, you know, uh, <laughs> this guy was just, like, cursing me. And I just had shoveled some snow in the wrong place. And I was like, dude, dude, man, ease up. But it left a mark. Jesus was being cursed. He was being mocked. He was being slandered. He was dying the most humiliating death known to man at the time. Satan was taking his biggest fire hose of shame and just blasting Jesus with it, with all he had, because he wanted Jesus to quit. He wanted him to give up. He wanted him to stop before the end of the race. And here's what, what Piper imagines Jesus possibly said to Satan and to shame. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power compared to the joy before me? You have none. Joy, joy, joy. That's my power, not you. Shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable. You are almost, and you are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shroud. But before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag, and I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because 
Even last night you made my disciples run away. You're a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. You're a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame. It is finished. Jesus, for the joy before him, endured the cross.